0: Today's reading is taken from the book of Genesis, chapters 2, verses 15 to 17, and chapter 3, 1 to 24. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Chapter 3. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work it, work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you Jane. It's a lot um, there in Genesis chapter 3, so could I ask that you take out your Bibles and open it up and keep it open as we go through it, and let's ask God to speak to us through this passage. Lord, we thank you so much for your Word, we thank you that in your Word is life. Lord, give us a sense of the power of your Word today um, that, uh, that it would give us life and that it would t- uh, uh, turn our hearts um, to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going through uh, this series, uh, God's Big Story, and we started with the creation last week, and the story will continue in the coming days, and now we come to the fall, um, the part where we talk about sin. But in this cultural moment, we really do not like talking about sin we don't even like the idea of sin. We don't like saying the word sin. It sounds judgmental and moralistic and unnecessarily harsh. Many people think that we're born good or at least neutral. It's the society out there that corrupts us and not us that corrupts the world, and as a parent, I see this play out in uh, a thing called gentle parenting. I don't know if you've heard of it, but uh, people who hold to this philosophy—I I, I have been told once—not um, to say no ever to say not to ever to say no to my children, and never to spank them. Of course, there is something good about that. It's good to instruct, and it's good to explain, and it's good to give alternatives rather than saying just no or give them um, just rules that they should follow. But at its root, I think gentle parenting has this idea that children are born good, or once again, at least neutral, and that if they're guided and explained, uh, if we explain things the right way, that then they'll do the right things. And there, I think, they're wrong. Because the story... Of Genesis starts out with Genesis chapters 1 and 2. God created the world, and it was good. It was very good. But the story continues to Genesis chapter 3, the story of our fall, story of sin and rebellion and expulsion from the Garden of Eden. And sooner we realize that we are sinners, that we have this hearts that rebel against God, sooner we realize that the world is fallen, that we don't live in Eden, but uh, to the east of Eden, then it'll be better. It'll be better for us when we parent our our children. It'll be better for us when we do educate our children. It'll be better for your marriage to realize and take sin seriously. It'll be better for politics. It'll be better for economic policies. It'll be better in every way if we understand that we're fallen creatures, creatures who need a Savior, creatures who are sinful. So let's take a look at this pivotal chapter, chapter 3 of Genesis, and where it tells us what the essence of sin is and its consequences and curses and the redemption that's hinted throughout. Well, on the surface, Adam and Eve's sin is obvious they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They disobey God. But when we dig deeper, we find that sin isn't as simple. I mean, it isn't just simple disobedience, but it's the desire to replace God's rule with self-rule. I think about the knowledge of, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and this knowledge of good and evil, um, theologians point out that the Hebrew word for knowledge, not, it's not just about the mind, but it has a sense of will or choosing. I think about it this way. How does God know? How does God know what's good and evil? Is there something that's good and evil outside, outside of God? No nothing stands outside of God. It's God Himself. It's His goodness that decides, that that, that knows what's good and evil, and He has ingrained His goodness in the creation. When we see in Genesis chapter, what we see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is His goodness uh, being ingrained in the creation. The creation itself is good because God created it good. In that sense, it's only God who determines what's right and wrong, what's good and evil. He has the right to decide what's good and evil. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they weren't just simply disobeying. They were saying they wanted to decide what is good and evil for themselves, that they did not. At at its heart, sin is autonomy, autonomy auto means um, self, and nomos in Greek means law. It, it's uh, uh, sin it's desires not to be creation. It's not content being part of God's creation. It wants to be equal to God. It wants to decide what is right and wrong for themselves and for the world. That's why it's so wrong, Uh, We have copies of this downstairs in the bookshelf, but uh, Pastor Von Roberts' book, uh, God's Big Picture, he says, at the heart of sin is not law-breaking. He says it's law-making. It's this desire to make law for ourselves, to claim equality with God. And of course, if we go to the text, that's how Satan tempts Adam and Eve. Look at what he says. Did God really say you must not eat from uh, any tree in the garden? Yeah, here, he misrepresents God's character, right? God said you can eat everything. He says, well, God's so stingy. Did He really say that he sh- you shouldn't eat any uh, from any tree? But that's not the, the biggest thing. What's most harmful and insidious is this uh, the, uh, the assumption underneath <laughs> what he's saying is this. He's saying, you shouldn't just take God's Word for it. You should judge whether God's Word is good for you or not. You should put yourself in the same place as God and evaluate God's Word and see if it, 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 it's, it's good for you. That's what's really harmful. And it's Eve. It's as if she's sort of taken a bite out of that temptation. Um, She corrects um, Satan, but she does add this little bit uh, that makes God seem a little bit more stingy, right? God said, oh, you must not touch it. Well, that's always never part of a command. She adds to it. And the snake then directly challenges God's word in verse 4. You will not certainly die. You will not certainly die. Professor Don Carson says, the first doctrine denied in the Bible is the doctrine of judgment. The first doctrine denied in the Bible is the doctrine of judgment. Satan was saying, look, there is no judgment. There is no consequences for your sins. No, no, no. God doesn't mean that. Whatever you do, sin will not have any consequences. That's what Satan is saying here. Of course, there are still some uh, people who call themselves Christians who still say this. You know, people who say, meaning well, I think, you know, they say, well, God's love, God's love, and so therefore it's okay. In the end, everybody will be forgiven. There is no consequences for sin and your, dis- uh, uh, re- your rebellion. Everything will be okay. Friends, those are not words of God. Those are words of Satan. Denial of judgment is the first denial that Satan made in the Garden of Eden. And then Satan adds, God said this because he wants to spoil your fun. Now Eve has to decide uh, who to listen to. And look what she does. She's decided. She takes a look at the fruit The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good. It does not echo what God was doing in Genesis chapter 1. God created things. He saw it and was good. He calls it good. You see, the narrator here is saying, Eve has already taken the position of God. God, this thing that God said, don't eat, it's not good for you. Well, she sees it and she deems it good. And so she takes it. And she gives it to her husband, and surprise, he's been there all along, silently, and he takes the fruit for himself as well. friends essence of sin is not just disobedience. It is the sin of lawmaking. It's claiming to be in equal place to God. It's not being content as one of God's creatures, loving creatures. Uh, It's not being content as uh, being vice regents, the highest form of creation. It's saying, I want to be equal to God. I want to decide what is good and evil for myself. So let me ask, friends, are you living as God's creation or many kings and queens? What do you live for? What do you live for? Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it told us what God wants us to live for. He gave us a mission. He's created us in God's image, and He sent us out to extend God's rule, God's kingdom to the ends of the earth, to rule and to subdue uh, on behalf of God as God's uh, stewards, as God's vice regents. Is that what we are doing? Is that what you are doing? Is that why you live? Is that the purpose of your life? What else do you live for? What purpose have you created for yourself? What meaning, what ultimate meaning do you have you derived by yourself and are you living for that now? And what are the areas where you are most tempted? When are you most tempted? You resist the whispers that says you can decide what's right and, good, right and wrong, what's good for you, what's bad for you for yourself. And there's no consequences. You don't have to listen to God. God's just spoiling your fun. Don't listen to the voices of temptation. Those are words of Satan. And if we are sinning, where are the areas where we need to repent and turn to God and say, actually, God, I've been living my life my own way. I've been claiming your place. Where are the places where you need to repent and turn to God? The consequences of sin is devastating dev- devastating in genesis chapter 3 the world is turned upside down even before they take the bite uh, from the f- uh, from the fruit you uh, know in genesis chapter 1 and 2 i hope you saw if you're in links group as you went through genesis chapter 1 these repeated words and i hope you've seen that actually that god creates order out of chaos uh, some of the repeated words were like according to their kind god separates things, the, 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 the water up there and the water um, down here, and uh, God puts boundary markers, uh, the, the seasonal markers, and God, of course, puts things in order, God, human beings, and the creation. It's supposed to rule in that way, and even within the creation in ch- 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 Genesis chapter 2, the husband is created first as the, the loving head uh, over the family, but even before the bite, everything is turned upside down. Instead of God-ruling humans, they take God's place. Uh, Eve, um, who… Adam is nowhere to be seen in in Genesis chapter 3, right? He's a silent follower and not a loving leader in Genesis chapter 3. The order between human beings, between husband and wife, that's reversed. The creation, human beings and creation. Human beings were supposed to rule over the creation, if you see a snake, crafty snake, rebelling against God, human beings' job is to put it under the authority of God, under uh, the, the subjection of Christ, of, of God. But of course, they don't do that. They listen to the snake. The order is already upside down even before they take a bite from the the fruit. And after all, after their sin, all this damage is magnified. And the curses, I think, also magnify um, the, the fault that's already been done, the damage that's already been done. Well, let's take a look. And just as Satan promised, their eyes were opened. But in one commentator's words, it was a grotesque anti-climax of the dream of enlightenment. It was a grotesque anti-climax, climax of enlightenment, enlightenment. They see God's good world. They see it with their eyes open. What do they see? They see God's good world, but they now see it as evil. They see it now as evil. They project their sin upon the world. Paul writes later uh, to to, to Titus, "...to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe nothing is pure." Uh, chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, ended with Adam and Eve naked, right? Adam and Eve uh, his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And that was a good thing. That they felt no shame. That meant intimacy. That meant honesty. That meant unity between uh, the husband and wife. And now, when they see nakedness, they want to hide. It's bad, they don't see reality clearly anymore. They are alienated to themselves. They are uncomfortable with themselves. They feel ashamed, and they want to hide things from others. They control what other people see because their relationship with one another is now broken. And when God asks Adam what happened, he blames Eve. The woman that you put me here, you put uh, put here with me. Just a few verses ago, he sang a praise to Eve, right? This is now the bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, the most romantic words in the Bible. And now, Adam says, the woman that you put here with me, uh disorder is the and and this disorder between the two, the husband and wife, human human relationship is intensified uh, with the curse. God says to the woman, "Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you." And that desire is not just sexual; it's not sexual desire. It's desire for control. Uh, that desire, will, you want that the, the male females or of battle of the sexes have now begun. The male and the male headship that's supposed to be sacrificial, loving service, service of love, is now enforced in the most brutal way. So, we see brutal forms of patriarchy all around the world, and that's part of God's curse. Our relationship with the nature is broken. It becomes, what's natural becomes painful. Be fruitful and multiply. It's supposed to be the most natural thing to give birth and that process becomes painful. The ground that's supposed to be fruitful um, as well to produce a fruit uh, that, that we can eat, now it produces thorns and thistles. And human beings and the creation now have this adversarial relationship much of the time. But the biggest damage that the sin does is between our relationship with God. God comes to find them. Uh, What we've seen in the creation account is God's gracious, God's good. There's abundance of love, abundance of beauty, abundance of goodness. But they do not see God that way anymore. They hide from God. They're afraid of God. And later, they're cut off from God's direct presence when they're kicked out of the Garden of Eden, losing access to the tree of life, um, thus introducing death. Into the world. The consequence of autonomy. This desire to have the same place as God for ourselves is disastrous. This is the foundation of ICC, the tallest building in Hong Kong, uh, in Kowloon. Tallest building. Imagine this is the foundation. It's huge. I don't know if you can see it, but there's a crane um, there and the people. It's, it's just a gigantic structure. You need a big foundation, don't you? Because it, it needs to support a huge building. Imagine replacing this foundation with bamboo scaffolding. You know, bamboo is pretty strong. It is. You know, that's why we Hong Kong people use bamboo scaffolding. But it cannot replace something like this. Uh, in our pride... We, as creatures, we want to create our own meaning. We want to decide what's good and evil for ourselves. We want to create purpose, and we want to rule in the way that we see. And that burden is crushing. It will fall as the world has fallen, as we see the world now fallen. This desire to claim equality with God actually just has dehumanizes us dehumanized us. It has made us less like God. It has degraded the image of God in us as we're much like the beasts out there in the world competing. So we get this world that's messed up chapters, Genesis chapter 3 is this story. Chapters 4 and 11 continues this story. In Genesis chapter 4, you get Cain killing Abel. Genesis chapter 5, it's a genealogy, but you could also call it list of people who died. Every paragraph, except the paragraph about Enoch, says, and then he died. It, the narrator is saying, This is not the way it's supposed to be, but he died, and then he died, and then he died, and he died. And next we get the Noah's story, the flood story. This is Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that every inclination of the human, the thoughts of the human heart, was evil all the time. Left alone on our, by ourselves to rule ourselves, every inclination of human heart becomes evil. And the next story after. The flood is Tower of Babel. Sin survives, and it's repeated all over again. People want to unite to claim the equal place with God. They want to make a name for themselves and not be content with the name that God has given them. Friends, the story of the fall explains the world. What's wrong with the world? The creation story explained why human beings are capable of such goodness. There's goodness in us. We can create, you know, Bach and Mozart, uh, MTR in Hong Kong, all these beautiful things, efficient things that are good. But at the same time, Genesis chapter 3, the story of the fall, explains why we've incinerated people in concentration camps. Why we have to worry about bullying and sexual abuse, even in elementary school. Genesis 3 explains the world, explains why the world is the way that it is. It's because of sin. It's because of sinfulness. And once undone, we cannot reconstruct the Garden of Eden by ourselves. And so this chapter shows us what we need the most. Yeah, throughout the history, people have had different solutions, revolutions, better economic policy, um, better kings and and rulers, or medical breakthrough, um, or better education. All those are good, of course, and they make incremental um, uh, progress, but fundamentally speaking, they will not bring us back to Eden. Fundamentally speaking, we need a savior. We need a savior who will change us, who will change the world, who will restore our relationship with God, with each other, and with the creation. We need a savior who can recreate us. But even in this chapter that explains sin, you know, there, it, it's full of also God's saving grace. An English author, Francis Spufford, was writing about music, Mozart, and he wrote this. It is not music that denies anything. It offers a strong, absolutely calm rejoicing, but it does not pretend that there is no sorrow. On the contrary, it sounds as if it comes from a world where sorrow is perfectly ordinary, but still there's more to be said. Everything you fear is true, and yet, and yet. Everything that you have done wrong, you have really done wrong. And yet, and yet. He says, good music, it does not deny sorrow. It, 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 it comes from a world where there is lots of sorrow. And then he says, and yet, and yet. It's this beautiful music. The things that we fear, the evils that we've done, the sins that we've committed The mess that we've made, the mess that can't be undone are real. And yet, and yet, yet, God is our creator. God's grace is ingrained in this world, and He still rules the world. Adam and Eve really sinned. They turned the world upside down. And yet, and yet, they don't deserve it. But you know what? God comes down looking for them. God knows exactly where they are, what they've done, and that, but they come, He comes down and says, Where are you? Where are you? He seeks after them, and they do not deserve forgiveness and rescue. And yet, verse 15, God pronounces the coming of the serpent crusher. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Christians throughout the ages have read Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, as the proto-evangelium, the the the, the, the first instance, first prophecy of the gospel of Jesus' coming. The serpent crusher is coming. Adam and Eve deserve to live in shame. But what does God do in verse 21? He removes the fig and He uh, gives them an animal skin to cover. It foreshadows a sacrificial system that something needs to die in order to cover over our shame. Verse 23, they're banished from the Garden of Eden. And that sounds harsh, but actually there is grace in that too. uh, This is an act of mercy. In their sinful state, eating the tree of life would not have healed them. It would have sealed their fate in their fallenness forever. They would have to live in eternal state of sin. But God will come. He will send the tree of life. Jesus will stand and say, I am the way and the truth and the life. Come to me and eat from me, he will say. There are broken relationships, miscarriages, cancer, wars, wars backstabbing and all of that is in this world and yet and yet this is God's good world and He is committed to it and He's still looking for the lost. Where are you? Where are you? It's not true that people are constantly searching for God and that God is hiding somewhere from the very first moment that people were lost. God came down to search after them. And in this story, it's the story of the Bible, God's big story. We'll see how generation after generation, through Abraham, Israel, kings, prophets, and all of that, God will come and say, where are you? Where are you? And when that wasn't enough, God Himself will become a man to come and look for us when we nailed him on the cross yet he stayed on the cross so that we might we might have life through him so let me ask today friends where are you where are you some of us i hope can answer that for the first time god i am here and i am yours i am your creation And that he who bore your sins for you will embrace you eh, as his son and daughter. And maybe some of us have not fully grasped God's grace and love yet. And we have given ourselves to him, but hiding some parts from him. Please come to him. Enjoy his goodness and the full privilege of being his children. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the good world that you've created, and we are sorry for our rebellion, our constant seeking equality with you, our maker. Lord, help us to see you as who you are, gracious, loving, powerful, beautiful God who loves us. And Lord, we pray that as we come to be in right relationship with you, our image will be restored that our image, of, of, of our image that reflects your goodness will be restored, that we might live in right relationship, not just with you, but with one another and with the world that you've created. Lord, sin is a huge problem. Help us to take sin seriously, sin in our hearts seriously, sin in the world seriously, but help us to look to you, our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.